It's the Grim Tidings Podcast. I'm Rob Matheny. And I'm Philip Overby. Our guest today is a writer and editor of science fiction and fantasy with over 200 professionally published titles. For short fiction has appeared in Asimov's, Clark's World, Weird Tales, Strange Horizons, Lightspeed, Apex, Beneath Ceaseless Skies, and Tor.com, just to name a few, along with numerous collections and anthologies including Blackguards, Shattered Shields, and Champions of Atoltis. She's worked previously as a co-editor for Fantasy Magazine. She's a graduate of the Clarion West Writers Workshop, a current member of of the Codex Writers Group. She's been nominated for Endeavor, Nebula, and World Fantasy Awards, and is the current president of the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America. Her debut novel, The Beasts of Tibet, came out in 2015, and she's also an author of nonfiction, including Creating an Online Presence and Ad Astra, the SFWA 50th Anniversary Cookbook. And she joins us today to talk about her new fantasy short story collection, Neither Here Nor There, which was just released in December from Hydra House. Online at kittywumpus.net, currently based in the Pacific Northwest, we're glad to welcome Kat Rambo to the show. Kat, thanks for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. Quite a prolific introduction there for you. You've published a lot I of have. short fiction. You, you like this writing thing. I do. Apparently. Well, I quit a job as a uh, software technical writer and figured that uh, I might as well approach writing as a business and keep working at it. And then you went full-time in 2005 and have mm-hmm. been doing it since then. Yep, yep. Over a decade now. How's that decade been treating it's you? Been, uh, it's been pretty good. <laughs> I was just talking to uh, one of my other Clarion West graduates, and we were talking about what the decade had brung, or, or brung both of us, and uh, that's Ann Leckie, so you can imagine yeah. she had some contribution to that as well. <laughs> And reunited, and it feels so good. This is actually not the first time um, our paths have crossed. You and Philip actually appeared in yes. episode 75 of the Roundtable podcast. Yes. Shout out to Dave Robinson of the RTP, a fantastic mm-hmm. human being, a fantastic podcast. And you've done that show multiple times, but you and Philip got to hang out and talk uh, some Splatter Elf there on episode That's 75. That's right. I remember so. that well. And Philip, <laughs> is that, isn't that out now? I have uh, four different Splatter Elf stories now. It's not that specific story okay, we, talk, okay. we talked about, but that did give me the uh, kick in my ass I needed to like <laughs> not only publish stuff uh, finally, but also to uh, get into this podcast game. I think talking to Dave and you and then later on talking to Rob uh, really got me interested in podcasting. And so in a way, you created this podcast. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> awesome. In some regards, Cat Rambo had a, had a say in the genesis of the Grim Tidings podcast. So oh, I will I will feel extra fond of you guys from now <laughs> going forward. You always have a place in the Grim Tidings heart. Right, there we Rambo. go. So I guess we'll, we'll talk business here. Um, you just released a fantastic short story fantasy collection called Neither Here Nor There from the fantastic folks at Hydra House. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us a little bit about this new collection and what folks can expect when they pick up this book. Well, they can expect, if they're picking up a physical copy, that they can turn it over and see a second book on the other side, because uh, it's another one of the double-sided collections uh, based on the old Ace Double novels, if you remember those. Uh, but this time, it is all fantasy stories. Uh, there is stories uh, set in our own world on one side, and then the other side is all secondary world stuff. Yeah, that... Uh... Um, double-sided book. Uh, can, I think that was kind of before our time. Oh, slightly. At, at <laughs> a little bit. But uh, I really like that concept of having kind of a double-sided book 
Um, and this isn't your first one. You did uh, Near Plus Far a right. couple years ago, which is another short story collection of yours, which is near future science fiction yeah. and far future science right. fiction. Right. So, uh, uh, so another short story collection. So plenty of short stories. You kind of like short stories. I do like short stories. And I, I will confess one of the allures of short stories is you can sit down and finish them as opposed to – you know, with a novel, you're plugging away and plugging away, and, and you do hopefully finish at some point, but most of the time you're plugging away. So you did release uh, a couple of years ago your first novel. What was your experience as a first-time novelist versus, you know, writing short stories? Well, so t- it was my first published novel. It was my third, yeah, third uh, actual one that I'd written. I learned that a novel is not just a large short story. Uh, and it's a novel is much more like a holographic image of a short story that somehow opens up to contain 5,000 short stories. And it, it takes a lot more sort of tying things together. Uh, you can't hold it all in your head the way that you can with a short story. At least for me, I kept finding myself going back into the manuscript and surprising myself uh, and being like, oh, shit, I forgot about that, uh, <laughs> which is disconcerting. And with Neither Here Nor There, your new short story collection, you've got uh, new short stories and then previously published ones, one including the short story that you had in the Blaggards anthology uh, uh-huh. uh, is included in that. What was kind of your thought process with picking these stories for this new collection? Um, well, I wanted, to, I wanted it to be a companion to the science fiction one, so I knew I wanted fantasy pieces. And then uh, I thought about doing it double-sided, and that kind of uh, gave me the two categories. So I sort of tried to shape it that way. But as far as picking which stories, I looked for stories, the stories that I really kind of wanted to make sure got saved in a book, Uh, the stories that I really felt were, I don't know, more important or better or more interesting perhaps than some of the other stuff. I mean, you love all your stories, right? You know, all of them, of course, amazing genius. But, but some are more amazing genius than others. <laughs> and at the end of each story, you actually <clears throat> have some a uh, few thoughts of mm-hmm. each story of kind of your thought process behind writing it or including it. or um, So there's little cat ramble reflections there yeah. at, at the end of yeah. each story. So that's cool. I like doing that. I think it's always interesting when uh, authors are reading and they'll talk about where the story came from or what they're trying to do because so often – uh, you know, it's it's not what you pull out of the story. So it's interesting to find out what the author wants you to be pulling out. It's like behind the music. Yeah, yeah, author, it really is. Author version. Without all the uh, <laughs> horrible shit happening. I guess. Uh, Hopefully. As, as far as the real world stories, you focus on different situations in the real world. But, but you also have your Tabat world that you've pulled stories from several mm-hmm. times. Uh, how many Tabat stories are included in this collection? Uh, gosh, that's a good question. I think there's at least three or four. And including one of them is a piece of the second Tabat novel that I just turned in. Uh, oh, but it, it's a standalone short story, but it's, it comes out of that novel as well. So a, a, almost a preview of uh, Hearts of Tabat is the next. Hearts of Tabat, that's it. The next installment. When's that one going to drop? That is actually dropping in uh, mid-March. It, uh, I turned it in, at least if all things go well, which is never a given. Uh, but at Emerald City Comic Con, we're going to do the debut. So it, I think technically it'll come out in April if we follow the same pattern as, as last time. But it will, will have the special launch like a couple weeks before. 
And that is the Tibet Quartet. So you've got four novels planned in that series. Is it still right. going to be four? Is it, is yes. It okay. Not going to be 12 I, or 17? <laughs> oh, God, no. I mean, I, I actually, one of the things I will, pieces of advice I will give for newer writers is, is don't plan something ambitious like a quartet right off the bat. Uh, try something a little smaller. I'm actually kind of working on a, a sort of a YA piece in the interim uh, while I'm sort of planning out uh, the third book. A, a little kind of, I, I'm doing actually a, it's a kind of girl power <clears throat> space opera thing that I'm having fun with. Oh, nice. Yeah. And you've built the uh, Tibet Quartet as a kind of a grimdark meets steampunk mm-hmm. vibe. What about the Tibet series do you think kind of makes it grimdarky? That's kind of our jam here on the show. We kind of talk about that now and again. So what's, what about Tibet gives it that grimdark vibe, you think? Um, well, I think one of the things is the fact that uh, intelligent creatures are getting dissected and used as uh, ingredients in magic, mm. right? Which is a kind of fairly, I will argue, dark <laughs> take on that. Um, I mean, you know, like what is grimdark? And I think of grimdark as one of the things that it focuses on is the the sort of the underbelly of epic fantasy and the fact that, that there are fleas and outhouses and people behaving badly, uh, not entirely heroically. And I think that Tibet, uh uses that sort of, I don't know, you know, not, not everybody's behaving badly, but uh, certainly there's a certain amount of fleas and that sort of thing. <laughs> and then some cogs and some... Um, there, that's some... it. <laughs> Steam there's, and... there's mechanical uh, creatures that are used to uh, enforce uh, the Duke's laws, uh, the Duke's peacekeepers. So there's sort of these horrific clockwork police. I think that's the most steampunky element. What is the uh, – I've been waiting to use this word for a while on the podcast. Uh, what is the current scuttlebutt <laughs> on uh, Grimdark in the community? Since you go to a lot of conventions, you talk to a lot of writers and fans, what is the – what is the uh, current consensus on uh, Grimdark as a subgenre? I think people are pretty aware that it's here to stay. Because mm. uh, we've reached that point that we always hit wherever we get uh, something new, where we then begin to go, oh shit, this has been here all along. Uh, and people are like looking at Glenn Cook, right? Because Glenn Cook's Black Company series, I would argue, was Grimdark before we had the name. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I think it's pretty well established, and I like that. I mean, because like one of, to me, one of the things about it is that it's looking at the economic circumstances, and I think that that is always going to be interesting. Yeah, we kind of call that uh, retroactive grimdark. Uh, that's mm-hmm. a that's a term I coined. There, I like that. <laughs> hey, Glenn Cook was writing that kind of stuff, and mm-hmm. then I think Joe Abercrombie and Mark Lawrence and yeah. uh, George Martin kind of made it yeah. more more well known name. Definitely, definitely. What was kind of the first short story? Since you, you tend to really focus on short fiction, what was really the first short story that kind of captured your attention, Cat Rambo, that made you decide that maybe short fiction is the art form that you would want to continue to pursue? Uh, it was um, it was probably Theodore Sturgeon. And it was, I'm trying to think of the title of the anthology. I can see the cover in my head. It had a unicorn in the title, and I can't remember what it, what it was. But uh, there's some short stories in there. One of them is Bianca's Hands. Uh, where this man, he basically falls in love with this woman's hands, and the hands are kind of like this separate entity from the the woman uh, is is mentally challenged. It's just a, a fabulous uh, story. And then they, they no, they, and then the other part of it is there's a story in there about uh, a unicorn, and it's about this uh, 
gosh, it's it's this young woman who plays a trick on a young man, and he ends up seeing the unicorn. Yeah, it's a fabulous story. I think that was it. Like, I, now I'm going to have to track down the title. <laughs> now, Miss Theodore Sturgeon, because that was a time when I was in high school. It was not unheard of in mass market paperbacks for there to be short story collections in a way that there are not now as far as uh, fantasy and science fiction goes. So you mentioned unicorns just now. and mm-hmm. we're, we're fans of unicorns oh, okay. on the show, uh, which, which makes us maybe a little less grimdark than we're, suppo- <laughs> we're supposed to be. But you, you use a lot of familiar mythology in your own work. Uh, you use, uh, for example, uh, minotaurs and different... Uh, uh, creatures from Greek mythology or different kinds of mythology. What what do you hear uh, fans say about the difference between invented races or more established races, and like how does that how does that work as far as connecting to the characters and the the races if mm-hmm. they're already established versus not established? I think that one of the main advantages of using them is that sort of. Uh, shorthand that you can rely on because anybody that's played D and D knows what a minotaur is, right? Uh, You know, and, and so centaurs are just, you know, people know what centaurs are. Whereas with other stuff, I see people having to explain it more. I was reading a wonderful book the other day that had a, a, a Tengu, uh, oh yeah, you know, and uh, a Kappa, and it was a wonderful, wonderful book. Uh, and I'm, of course, blanking on the title, but uh, they had to they had to explain things in a way that uh, you don't with Greek mythology. Mm. I mean, and that makes it all sound like very lazy writing, of course. So now I'm wishing there was a more interesting reason than that. But I mean, the other thing is that I mean, there's another. There is a series that influenced me very much also in high school, which was uh, Thomas Burnett Swan, who wrote these fabulous uh, short little fantasy books, usually using uh, Greek mythology. Mm. And one of the things that, uh, why they were revelatory to me was they showed uh, gay and lesbian relationships in just kind of without questioning them or marking them as abnormal in any way. It was just like, oh, these ha- these people happen to be in love with each other. And there was a kind of uh, lovely naturalness to that, to me, that I always, I know it was a beautiful world. And you used to be the um, editor at uh, Fantasy Magazine. Mm-hmm. So no doubt you've read some amazing fantasy short stories from some of the best authors working in the genre today. We actually had a award-winning editor, Ellen Datlow, on the show back in October. And she mentioned that she thinks that we're currently in a kind of golden age of short horror fiction. But when it comes to fantasy fiction, what are your thoughts on the genre? Would you say we're kind of in a golden age for short fantasy fiction? Or what, what would you say the current state of short fantasy fiction is? Well, I think two things. I think one is, yeah, I think right now this is a very rich time for the short story partially because of the rise of mobile devices and reading online and the fact that they have shown that people's attention spans are uh, over the years shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. So yeah, it is, it is a psychologically a good time for short fiction, particularly in a, when our time is so divided, but it's also, it's a kind of weird time because publishing is changing so much and we don't have while we have all the traditional forms, we have a lot of alternate forms as well. And I think the jury is still out on how that's going to affect things. But I think it's going to end up with even more short fiction. 
I hope so. Do you think there'll be more subscription kind of services as far as similar to Netflix or Amazon Unlimited, those kind of things, in order to to push more short fiction out there? I would love to see that. I think that probably it's going to come more in various curated forms where people are relying on somebody else to sort of find the good stuff for them. Because right now there's just so much stuff out there that that's the trick, right? The trick is to to sort of winnow through what Sturgeon would say, you know, 90% of everything is crap. And unfortunately he was so true. (laughs) What if you're looking for crap? (laughs) Then you will find it. (laughs) (laughs) But even, I mean, there's also, I mean, think about it. There's even, there's good crap versus bad crap. I mean, there's, Mm. there's like wonderful escapist stuff. Uh, when I was growing up, I loved Remo Williams, The Destroyer. Do you guys ever hit those series? They're men's adventure, and they're just terrible, and they're awful, and they're sexist and racist, and <laughs> just all sorts of shit. But I loved them. They were great because they had these fabulous characters. So they were good crap, right? They were high-quality crap. What was Remo? What was his name? Was- Remo Williams, The mm-hmm. Destroyer. They did a movie that was not very good on. But they, they were like, there were like 200 of these books. They were written by Warren Murphy... Warren Murphy and William Safir, I want to say. I don't remember. Safir and Murphy. Hmm. Oh, they're, they're gloriously bad. <laughs> I almost think there's a market for that style. I, I, I've talked oh, yeah. a little bit. I've talked a little bit about this with other people as far as the so bad it's good kind of things like Sharknado or mm-hmm. those, those kind of things are happening in film, but we don't see them happen as much in, in writing. No, um, but I, I do think there's probably a market for that. Uh, people enjoy reading shitty stuff sometimes just to make them laugh. I guess. I mean, yeah, kind of deliberate kitsch, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. We need so, more of that. <laughs> <laughs> Splatter Elf kind of has that that vibe a little bit. Well, yeah, in a way, it's not. I don't intentionally make it shitty. But <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> It is kind of like candy fiction, I guess, like uh, Pringles fiction. Pringles fiction. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I eat a eat a snack. Yeah, Have a snack. Sick. Sometimes you want Pringles. Nope. You don't want prime rib. You just want that's it. Some sour cream and onion chips. That's, that's all you want. Comfort food. So as the uh, industry continues to change and evolve, Patreon, Patreon, pa- Patreon, 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 Patreon um, is definitely. Um, a resource that a lot of authors are tapping into these days, which you have done, Cat Rambo, <laughs> successfully. You've got uh, quite a few backers on there, and every time you drop some short fiction, you get uh, you get a paycheck. I do from old Patreon. How do you think uh, Patreon should be playing a role for authors today? Do you think new authors should do it, or should established authors? How how do you think uh, Patreon best fits into the equation for authors working today? I, I think that for new authors, I don't know that it's a good business model. Unless they are so confident in their abilities, including their marketing abilities, that they know they're going to be able to sort of slowly build something over time. I think that probably if people want to get a name, though, they're going to do better to try and pursue some uh, publications and magazines and kind of, you know, places that have circulation and can get their names out there. Because that's what you want. You want to start building people who look for your name and, and people who are interested in your stuff. There's kind of conflicting information out there as far as uh, 
what you should do as a writer. For example, a lot of people say if you want to write novels, you should only write novels. And if you want to write short stories, you should only write short stories. Um, you do both. So, and a lot of people do both. So what do, what do you think as far as new writers, should they pursue short fiction first and test kind of test the waters or is that not really testing the waters? I think that they should pursue whatever they are really enjoying writing Mm. and they should, and whatever kind of leads them to work really hard at it uh, because that's the best thing you can do when you're a new writer is just work your butt off because they say that if you write a million words, you will get better. And that's not actually true. You have to write a million words and think about writing and think about how to get better much like musicians who don't practice the same song over and over from start to finish, right? They find the passage that they're having trouble with and they play that passage over and over and over until it's not a question of getting it right. It's a question of not being able to get it wrong. And that's the sort of practice that you do as a writer. Is that coherent? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I I, I think you, you must share a lot of this kind of information with your students because you do offer classes. Yeah, I do. Yeah. And this is something, in fact, uh, in a little bit uh, today, in about an hour, I'm teaching the creating an online presence uh, class for writers where we're basically going to be looking at what people are doing. Because it is true. You can kind of uh, at least build a web presence that will be of use to you once you start releasing stuff. But the thing about that is... When you're a new writer, it is so easy to get distracted and it's so easy to start thinking about the font on your business card or, you know, what you're going to say to your agent and, you know, that sort of thing that you forget that you butt in chair is the most important thing. It is so easy to pontificate about writing. It is <laughs> much harder to put butt in chair and get stuff done. That's the not sexy part of writing. Is it really is. The butt in the chair part. Yeah, yeah. You actually wrote, a, like I mentioned in your intro, you wrote a book called Creating an Online mm-hmm. Presence, which you just updated in 2016. So folks can drop by Amazon and pick up a copy of that if they want to know more about establishing an online presence. Would you say today that be, having an online presence is essential for a professional author if they want to make a name for themselves? I think it's pretty crucial. And I don't want to discourage anyone because I know that uh, some people are just like, I don't want to put any part of myself up online. I think that writers, you must have, you must have some sort of presence out there that fans can find. So when somebody runs across one of your books and says, "I want to find more of them," they have a way to go find more of them. But you know, is it does everybody have to blog every day? Gosh, no, no, because nothing, nothing comes across sadder as a sort of forced blog. You know, do you know, and you know that one, right? You know, it's right. Like somebody's just like, well, today I had asparagus, and you know, it's just like, God, stop, stop. That's grimdark. <laughs> no, there is no forced blogging in grimdark. Surely, I'm gonna write a, I'm gonna write something about asparagus after we finish to get to the, <laughs> see if I can make it interesting. <laughs> that's my goal for today. There you go. There you go. Oh, that's hilarious. Um, and as far as an online presence go, we won't delve into all the uh, the cool info that you have to offer in your online class uh, or the book has to offer. But what would you say is kind of the biggest mistake you see authors making today when it comes to their online presence? Trying to sell too much. 
Mm. And and being having like a for example a Twitter stream where it's nothing but buy my book buy my book buy my book that's just I mean nobody wants to, I mean it, it's the thing about social media is that you need to be listening more than you're talking mm. yeah I've definitely seen that we have uh, our Facebook group Grim Dark Fiction readers and writers we've got over mm-hmm. two thousand members in there now so we we definitely come across authors and we have we've definitely seen some who are not doing things. Uh, particularly right. correct. There's spamming and things going on. A lot of self-pub people who post things for books with horrendous covers and things uh-huh. like that. And, and yeah. it's like they read information or got some information somewhere that the best way to market is to join Facebook groups and post a <sighs> copy and paste ad for your Amazon thing over and over. That's it. That's, that's how it. you sell books. <laughs> well, and, and that's it. If you're going to independently publish, that's awesome. But you still... You know, one of the things that you get out of traditional publishing is they will put money into editing and cover art and copy editing and that sort of thing. And if you want to claim the full piece of the pie as far as profits go, which I highly encourage, I think that's awesome, and I, I think authors should be doing more of that, you got to be prepared to lay out a little money to make the book look nice. Yeah, a lot of think- people just want something for free. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And that's not going to get quality, I don't think. It's not. It's not. Do you think uh, people who are self-published should should not only spend money on cover art, because that seems to be the big thing everybody wants to fork out money on, or should they uh, – should, should some kind of promotional thing be tied into it, like putting money into promoting the book uh, through different services or – Spending more money on editing, or sh- should they be doing the whole, the whole kit and caboodle, or should they, they focus should, on one thing? They should definitely be hiring an editor, because you know you cannot edit your own manuscript. You just don't see the holes in it. Uh, so, so they definitely need to be hiring somebody to at least copy edit. That's just uh, good sense. But uh, beyond that, like the promotional stuff, different people are good at different things. And some people really love the marketing. Uh, some people are very good at the marketing. Some people hate the marketing but are very good at it. So if you are good at the marketing, I think you can really do a lot. There's a huge amount of free tools out there. There's a lot of kind of fun stuff you can do, particularly if you're somebody who sort of who enjoys creating an online presence and really loves interacting with people and that sort of thing. Uh, you can do all sorts of fabulous stuff. But if you are somebody who hates marketing who you know doesn't answer your emails and doesn't want to do stuff, then yeah, you should probably hire a publicist too. And you have that online class that you're giving today. You offer a, a swath of topics to pick from for your mm-hmm. online classes. And po- folks can log on to your website at kittywampus.com and check out kind of your offerings if they yep. want to know more about writing or publishing or any, any sort of aspect of professional authoring. I think they'll be able to l- glean much wisdom from you at <laughs> Rambo. So. I definitely advise folks, especially professional authors seeking to um, up their game, definitely drop, check out Kat's website and see what she has to offer for sure. Well, and the, the cool thing I just added to the little online uh, school that I do, I now have some other people teaching there. And so uh, Rachel Swirsky has been doing a class on uh, retellings of myths and fairy tales. And uh, Juliet Wade's been doing uh, using linguistics in uh, not just world building, but prose. And then we just added, I'm so excited about this, uh, how to write space opera with Anne Leckie. That's cool. Yeah, it's super cool. 
lots of awesome stuff. And that's kittywumpus.net. Yep. I, I said that right. Yeah. Not butcher it. No. Um, what is a kitty wumpus? A kitty wumpus. Actually, uh, I got a birthday card a number of years ago that had this little uh, mermaid, but the top was a cat. So it was a, kind of like a little mer cat. And we decided that was a kitty wumpus. And a friend drew it. So I've been using that as my mascot. Oh, that's adorable. <laughs> Phil, you need an adorable little mascot. To- it's funny that uh, cat mentioned kappa earlier because that's kind of one of my obsessions you know, you living living in japan so uh if if anything i would probably have a kappa would be my mascot <laughs> or or like uh, like a stuffed animal but but it's like just like a piece of shit <laughs> <laughs> like a plush piece of shit that would be my mascot wow i bet they that someone makes that Someone yeah, there must has be. to make that. that. That's just there's no question in my mind, but that someone somewhere makes probably multiple versions. If anyone What's wants it? to send me one, right, I'm up for it. Hit us up, thegrimtidingspodcast.com. <laughs> Let us know. <laughs> so let's talk Sifwa. Okay, it's a small organization, uh, science fiction and fantasy writers of America. That's right. Um, is the organization, Professional Writers Organization. Um, what would you say is kind of the, the best asset that SIFWA contributes when, uh, when an author signs up for uh, that association and becomes a member? The community. Mm. Uh, because we have a lively set of message boards. Uh, we have a biweekly newsletter, uh, by which I mean every two weeks, uh, newsletter that goes out, uh, helps people uh, know what's going on in their area. We sponsor uh, reading series. And, and I think that is one of the most important things. The second most important is Griefcom, which is a grievance committee, which basically will go in if authors are having trouble with publishers or editors or someone like that. Uh, Griefcom will go in and mediate and kick some ass. <laughs> and you're the president. Yes. Currently in your second year. Yes. Right. And do you transition to a new president after your time is up or are you going to try to stay on or is it, how's that work? I am not at liberty to comment on okay. it at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not like a four years and then no, no, run no. again thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, you have to, it's a, a two year term. Uh, so every, every two years you get either a new person or they, all the, all the former CIFA presidents refer to it as, One's time in the barrel, which will tell you something about it. <laughs> and you were the vice president before that, and then you were just a volunteer before that, so you're very much involved with that organization. Yeah, I was a, the head moderator of the discussion boards, uh, which is one of the reasons why I tend to, to plug the discussion boards whenever I can. And you have to be a professionally pub- you have to have a professionally published piece of fiction before you can join the SIFWA right. gang. Right, you have to to meet a certain figure. That qualifies you. I mean, it's a very arbitrary definition, but a professional writer, but yeah. And we just uh, a couple of years ago uh, voted to admit independently published folks and have criteria for those, uh, which has been awesome. I think that's one of the things that's really brought a lot of energy into the organizations. We have a lot of indie publishing people that are energetically sharing their information. And we just submitted game writers. So oh, people, cool. Yeah, and so there will be a, a game writing Nebula Award. Uh, coming up in 2018. That's cool. Yeah, I thought that was exciting. Speaking of games. Speaking of. I love games. <laughs> Did you know this? Uh, are there any games that you're currently obsessed with or like a game that you always go back to and you love playing? 
I have been picking away at Skyrim. Played it when it came out, and when I think I got my character up to like seventy, maybe. Yeah, it was bad. Uh, <laughs> but we just got a new uh, what is it, Xbox three hundred and sixty, and so I've been uh, playing through Skyrim again on that and having fun. Oh, cool! What's your race class that you play on Skyrim? Uh, this one's a dark elf. I decided to go with a, a sort of magic heavy character this one, this one. So this one is like destructo woman. So like anything comes up it's just like <laughs> uh, flame bolts. <laughs> are you the kind that just goes around town murdering people or are you like a uh, you more straight shooter go through the main quest kind of person? I am death from the shadows. So I I <laughs> stalk around in the woods at night shooting things basically. That's the thing I like. I just like sneaking and hiding and and doing that one shot that drops somebody in their tracks. Do you, do you do like, uh, some people to make their video game experiences more interesting, they kind of project onto their characters where they role play the character actually, instead of just playing the character a specific way, uh, as the game designed it, you, you can kind of like, okay, my character collects mushrooms. Yeah. You know, just have like a house full of mushrooms or whatever. Yeah, I'll do that. Okay. I, like my mind right now has adopted a child, which okay. now this is new capability in Skyrim. Uh, so I was like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll adopt you. Here's a tiny house for you. <laughs> What's your character's name? I think this one. No, this one's Mirth, M-I-R-T-H. Oh. It's one of those old, uh, you know how like often you'll have online nicknames and you just kind of use it over and over again. One of the ones I use. And you are actually a were at one point a big D and D nerd as yeah. was Philip and myself. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty cool. I played it back when it was the little teeny tiny box set that nobody remembers, with the little tan bound covers. Yes. Old school. Old school. No, Before actually, I'm, first edition. Well, I'm playing in a campaign right now, uh, but we have so much trouble meeting that I don't think we've met in several months. But I'm running a. Uh, I think uh, we're playing third edition D and D. And are you the GM? No. No, okay. No. My friend Yang Yang is. Yang Yang the GM. Yang Yang the GM. Do you prefer to just be a player or do you ever GM? Or? Oh, I love GMing. I have been working on a, a Wild West or Weird Western campaign uh, that I run for my husband and another friend. Uh, but again, we have trouble uh, sometimes scheduling stuff. Yeah, we've had uh, R. Scott Baker on the show, Steven Erickson on the show, all those guys heavily yeah. into to gaming and being God over yeah their game world so well that's i mean running the game it's very much storytelling and you're using a lot of the same techniques right you're, you're trying to create an atmosphere you're trying to kind of draw the players in uh, it's storytelling so the the game writer part of the sfwa is related to video games only or is it related to other types of games all games oh all games okay mm-hmm. cool that's awesome. I'm excited about that. I mean, that's that's one of the kind of fun things about being involved with the organization is you get to you get to oversee things like that. <laughs> well, I think uh, I was thinking about doing the 30 second geek out with Cat Rambo. Phil, okay, was what I was thinking. So the 30 second geek out is it's a fun little bit. It sounds funny on the air. It's a little bit jarring. So what we do is we give you 30 seconds and 30 seconds only to wax eloquent on a topic. And uh, once your 30 seconds is up, we will give you the buzzer and you'll have to stop talking. So it's a little bit jarring the first couple of times, but it's kind of fun. It's the 30-second geek out with author, editor, president of the SFWA, Cat Rambo. So we've got 30 seconds. We've got a few topics here. Uh, the first topic is Clarion West and go. 
I think Clarion West is an amazing program. I had a fabulous class when I went through it, and one of the things that I really like about it is that it brings in a teacher each week. So each week you've got somebody new and usually somebody very different. You're seeing lots of different sides of science fiction. Uh, I still know and love most of my Clarion West uh fellow students uh, we get together at various conventions which is one of the other things ah. you need a gong it, well in post in post okay. production i'll throw in a little fun little buzzer but okay for for the live version you just get the eh, sort of <laughs> fun little buzzer it's, it's not that fun it's not as fun but yeah that's the 30 second geek okay. out. so we've got a few more topics here for you that you can just just wrap on for a little bit All um right. so the next topic armageddon mud and <laughs> 30 seconds only. So I devoted, I believe, 15 years of my life to Armageddon Mud, and it will always hold a very special uh, place in my heart. It's how I met my best friend. It's how I met my husband. Uh, I've met so many wonderful people through it. Uh, I had to work with one of the best teams of kick-ass, amazing people ever, and I will always be proud of the stuff that we achieved, uh, not just the amazing code, but the amazing community and the fabulous role play. See, this is this is the part where it's like okay. thirty seconds is not enough. Yeah, Rarely yeah. Enough to, to talk about Armageddon Mud, uh, Armageddon Mud. That's that is a computer game, right? Is it? It's it's an online game. It is a free game that's text based, and it is still going. And enter at your own peril because it is very addictive. I'm very serious about that. I'll check it out. <laughs> Sounds cool. Okay, I have one. Okay. For 30 seconds and 30 seconds only, please share with us uh, the world of Tabat. The world of Tabat. I love this world because it is full of the things that I would love to cavort with, which is intelligent, magical, talking creatures like unicorns and minotaurs. And it is a world that I've written in so many times that I can tell you how the streets smell in the spring and the way that the cobblestones rumble underfoot when you're in a pedal cart going down spray way heading towards the College of Maine. Time's up. You suck, Rob. <laughs> Let her keep going. <laughs> I was enjoying that one. That was good. That was good. <laughs> Alright, I've got another one. You may not be ready for this one, but I, okay. think, I think you'll be able to... Uh... To bring us up to speed on 30 seconds on Welsh Rarebit. <laughs> so I am very proud of my Welsh Rarebit. I was taught how to make it by my former father-in-law, and I think of him uh, whenever I do. It is something that every time I'm on reading, uh, writing retreats, they all want me to make it at some point late at night. It involves cheese and beer basically melted in a tasty sauce and poured over bits of bread. It is one of the most fabulous things ever. It is the thing that inspired the fabulous comic Dreams of a Welsh Rarebit Fiend, which was the precursor to Little Nemo in Slumberland. It is a... That sounds delicious. It is delicious. <laughs> Beer and cheese and bread. Oh, it's so good. Now I want some. And that was your um, recipe featured in the SFWA cookbook. It is. Astra. It is. Folks wanted to pick pick that up and know how to make Cat Rambo Welsh Rarebit. And it's that book has the only recipe that William Gibson knows, <laughs> which is Migas, and which he told me he's got from Neil Stevenson. So that's, oh, there's your piece of trivia for today. 
well, two more topics, and then we'll wrap up this uh, 30-second geek out here with okay. Matt Rambo. Um, 30 seconds to wax eloquent on the Griffin Bookstore in uh, South Bend, Indiana. I, the Griffin Bookstore has been going for 40 years now, and I just was privileged to be there at its 40th anniversary. It is run by the two most wonderful people in the world, Ken and Sarah bird Pitchkovsky. And I, they are, I, they have changed so many lives and that they, there were so many people who were geeky, sad kids who wandered into that bookstore and found their tribe and stayed there. Uh, it will always be the most wonderful place in the world to me. Every time I'm back in Indiana, I have to go and spend at least a couple hours sitting there and talking to Ken and Sarah uh, because they are just so amazing. I, I'm sorry, I'll break into tears. You got a bonus okay. <laughs> bonus 20 seconds for the Griffin Bookstore. <laughs> Sounds like a pretty cool place. It is fabulous. It, it really is. It's all about finding the tribe. It is. So last topic, um, you have 30 seconds to tell us the best writing advice you ever received. The best writing advice I ever received was from uh, Sign Mitchell. Uh, at Clarion West, and she said that this is what you do because no writing advice is one size fits all. So you try lots and lots and lots of stuff, and you figure out which of it works, and then you do that lots. And so that's something that I've always kept in mind. Uh, I'm always looking at my process. I'm always trying to figure out what is working and what isn't, uh, trying to maximize the stuff that works and trim away the stuff that's getting in the way. Because we writers are often our own worst enemies in terms of distraction. Time is up. <laughs> and if folks want any more writing advice, they can check out kittywumpus.net. And you'll find a plethora of online classes and offerings from Cat Rambo and others on how to learn how to write fiction to the best of your abilities. So be sure to check that out. Well, we're almost done here, Cat Rambo. I wanted to, to just see if you have any con appearances coming up. Um, soon that if folks wanted to catch up with you, if they could do that in person. If anyone is going to be around at Emerald City Comic Con in March, and if you are going to Worldcon in Finland this year, I will be there. Or is it in Helsinki? In Helsinki, yeah. It's going to be cold as shit there, isn't it? <laughs> uh, it's going to be awesome. But it'll be it'll be great. It will be. Even, even it'll be cold as shit. <laughs> Well, I can't make it to Helsinki, but I am planning for San Jose in 2018. Oh, awesome. WorldCon awesome. there, so perfect. we'll make it to that one. So kittywumpus.net is the website. Social media-wise, you're on Twitter, right? Mm-hmm. As Cat Rambo. Cat Rambo, okay. Oh, MySpace. <laughs> yes, I, I am. Wait, on the MySpace. <laughs> the MySpace. <laughs> the MySpace. So they can keep up with you on Twitter, and you are, you're on Facebook as yeah, well, and yeah. kind of... Actually, All over the place. Most social media, if you look on Cat Rambo, you will find me somewhere. LinkedIn? I am on LinkedIn. I, oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Foursquare? No. <laughs> no, actually, I am on Foursquare because I remember checking in on Foursquare. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> and if folks wanted to uh, check out your Patreon, they can be- become a patron at patreon.com slash Cat Rambo as well. So. They can uh, get some exclusive fiction by backing you for as little as a dollar there That's at, right. at that That's website. Right. So definitely something worth checking out. Well, it's been fantastic. Um, it's been If this is any indication of the awesome year that we're going to have here on the podcast by having Cat Rambo as the first <laughs> guest of the year, then we're, we're starting off on a, on a good foot here. Awesome. Uh, 
But best of luck to you with all your short fiction, with your presidenting there at SIFWA, and all the awesome Cat Rambo goodness that you have coming out in the future. And thank you again for joining us on the program today. Thank you guys for having me. This has been a lot of fun. You can find us online at facebook.com slash thegrimtidingspodcast or on Twitter at GrimDarkFiction. Download the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean. And if you like this show, please share it and leave a review. And be sure to drop by our Facebook group, Grimdark Fiction Readers and Writers, for daily updates on all things Grimdark. On behalf of co-host Philip Overby and myself, Rob Matheny, thanks for listening to this episode of the Grim Tidings Podcast. We'll see you next time.